Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings for me. You know, Friday night I was like, okay, Pastor Josh called and said, hey, just wisdom says let's prepare this way. And so I was like, okay, Lord, I hadn't been leaning that way but uh, in preparation for anything, but I really felt that God had something in my heart. God always knows, amen, nothing takes him by surprise. And so I found that the, the best thing that you do when you come to minister is minister out of what God's ministering to you about, what you're getting into the word and what your prayer time seems to be about. And that's always the best thing to share as God is working things out in you and through you. And so 2 Kings is a passage of scripture that I can't tell you how many times I've actually ministered this a number, a number of times. I've heard it ministered a number of times, but just every time you get into the word of God, it comes alive. Amen. And so whatever the Holy Spirit is helping you process or navigate through, he takes that word and it filters that way. And so that's why it's so important for you to stay in the word, especially especially when you find yourself like during tests or trials or, or hardships. Make sure you are in the word. That's where you get your strength. That's how your faith is built. That's where you get direction and even correction at times. Well, this is a story that I think uh, is in, incredible on so many levels. In fact, it's really hard to find one thing to get across to you in this story because there's so many wonderful truths in it. But before I get into that, let me set it up for you. This is the prophet Elisha with an S. There was Elijah, his predecessor with a J. And so Elisha had just been ministering to three kings. A prophet back in those days was there, the the God's voice, if you will, to his people. And so he would speak to the kings and God would speak to and through the prophet that way. And then so he's dealing with three kings. Then he comes upon this story or this widow woman. And then after this, he goes to minister to a very wealthy individual. And here's what I like about all that. I like that you don't have to be a king or you don't have to be a rich person. God loves you and is care, cares about your life. Amen. So don't ever think that you're not important enough or significant enough because he cares for you as much as he cares for anybody else. And I love that about God. So let's take a look at this story. Let's go. Second Kings four, one through six. Here we go. Verse one says this, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he revered God. Verse two says this. Oh, continue with verse one. But now his creditor, now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Verse two, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? I don't know if you ever put yourself in Bible stories. You should see yourself in this place. But that's so funny to me and probably frustrating to the lady because Elisha says, well, how can I help you? And I can imagine the lady, I'd be like this. Didn't you just hear what I said? (laughs) My husband's dead. We owe a bunch of money, and they're coming to get my sons as slaves. Yeah, but how can I help you? (laughs) Are you listening to me? Do you only listen to God? Is that all you're listening to? Because I'm trying to tell you what's going on. And then she goes and says this, and he says this rather, tell me what do you have in your house? Okay. (laughs) My husband's dead, so he's not there. We have no money, so obviously we've already sold everything on eBay we could sell, and it's still not enough. Tell me what I have in your house. Goes on and says, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil, but what could that matter? Verse three, Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. 
Have you been listening? No disrespect, but have you been listening? My husband's dead. We have no money. I have a small jar of oil. What am I going to do with a bunch of empty jars? Now, maybe if you would have said, go borrow jars of oil from somebody. I have this little jar. Has anybody ever been there but me? Am I the only one? I feel like alone right now. Right now, it's like, have you ever had those discussions with God? God, are you listening? I don't have anything. There's nothing happening here. Doesn't make any sense to me. Says this. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. Okay, pour oil into all these jars out of the little jar of oil I have. And as each is filled, put it to one side. Verse five, she left them and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. Now listen, this is interesting to me because once she started doing what he said to do, it got fun. I mean, at first it's like pretty frustrating. I was like, I don't even want to go. Can you imagine to her son's like, boys, the man of God said we need to go get a bunch of jars. Well, mom, did you tell him that dad is dead? That we have nothing in the house except one little jar of oil? And she's probably like, hey, don't argue with a man. You go get them. No, mom, why don't you go? No, you go get them. You heard what the man said, right? And then all of a sudden they start pouring and now they're like looking for more jars. Now they're Let's go. Is there anybody else we know? Is there another neighbor? Maybe the next neighborhood over, we could go get some more jars. And I love how God does that. And then there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Could you put uh, verse six up in the New King James, or the King James, rather, for me? I don't know about you. How many of you grew up on the King James Bible? Right? It was the big 10 pound thing on the coffee table, right? That passed down from your family. And my dad was a King James guy, and so I grew up cutting my teeth on the King James, and I love it here at the end. It came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. The oil stayed. I want to share this morning out of just this passage of scripture, something I, I, I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to all of us, but you need to check your oil. You need to check your oil. Because here's the thing, we tend to get so caught up in our deficit And what we don't have, we miss the thing that we do have. And because we just get overwhelmed by the need, we discount the seed or what we already have for God to use. And that's just human nature. And I don't fault anybody for that. We certainly don't fault this lady. I mean, we're not even probably dealing with some of the circumstances she's dealing with. And reality is this, that she's in a tough spot. And have you ever noticed that life isn't concerned about your crisis? I mean, I've lost my husband. We've got no money. The creditors are coming to get my sons. All I got is a smart dollar oil. Could you give me a break, life? As if life would say, okay, everybody, memo to everybody on the planet. Time out. Give her a break. She's going through a hard time, right? The world doesn't care when you're in crisis, but God does. God does. And it doesn't matter if you're three kings or you're the rich person. God cares about what's going on in your life. There are times that we find ourselves like this woman in a deficit and we think of the word deficit or let me use the word poor, P-O-O-R. And so we're not just talking about money here. A lot of times this scripture is used for resources and I believe it is applicable and appropriate. But the reality is that we all are poor at times in areas of our life. We have a deficit in areas of our life. We can have, we can be poor relationally. We can be poor emotionally. We can be physically, we can, we can be financially, if you will. So really, this is speaking to every area of your life that you feel there's a deficit, and this woman gets down to almost nothing, and her natural response, her first instinct when Elisha asks her, what do you have in your home, is to say nothing, say nothing. But that's not true. That's not true. 
But because she's been looking at her deficit for so long, or perhaps because her deficit is so great in relation to what she perceives to be her supply, she gets caught up as we can, and our response would be nothing. Nothing. Now, isn't that our typical response to a need instead of presenting God? Instead of presenting God what we have, we present God with what we don't have. And so sometimes we get overwhelmed by our need or our lack that we minimize our supply because we measure, we measure the effectiveness of our supply to the size of our need. Now, have you ever known somebody, and don't raise your hand or look at the one person sitting next to you or whatever, that has, when you've asked them, there's people you just avoid, right? So it's like, okay, last time I asked that person how they're doing today, I was there like 45 minutes. I felt like I had to take a bath and wash all the negative stuff off me and all this kind of stuff, right? Have you ever been that person? And it's like, they're just going on and on and on. And you finally just have to stop them and say, do you have anything good to say? And I've been there as people, and I've asked somebody, say, well, hold on a second, well, at least you're alive. And well, what I'm doing is not really living. <laughs> well, at least you're breathing. <laughs> I kind of back up and change it there. At least you're breathing. And it's like, all you get is negative. And I, and I have people all the time, it's like, you know what? Hey, at least you're here today. I mean, did you wake up in a bed this morning? Did you wake up this morning, right? I mean, how did you get here? Did you walk? Did you get Uber? Did you, I mean, whatever that is, how'd you get here today? The clothes you're wearing, I mean, you got something. Sometimes we just get so consumed, however, with our deficit that we miss our supply. And Elisha instructs this widow woman who is at a deficit to check her oil, and that's what I wanna say today because it's possible that you're overlooking the very thing that God wants to use to perform a miracle through in your life. And now when you've lost a lot and when you've been in a deficit for a while, it's really hard to appreciate what you have. We've all been there. She's lost a husband. She spent everything she had and hasn't touched her debt. The creditors are coming to get her son. And all she has and acknowledges a little jar of oil. In fact, the jar of oil is small. She says, all I have is a small jar of oil. And what she's saying, it's so insignificant. She doesn't even think it's worth mentioning initially. And here's what I've realized, that God loves to do miracles through the things that we don't even think are worth mentioning the things that we think perhaps are insignificant. And it's a thing that seems so small and insignificant in our sight that God wants to use it. You ever notice God just likes to work that way? I mean, look, remember your Bible school days or uh, rather your Sunday school days or if, if maybe the story will be new to you, but God was ready to anoint David, one of the famous kings of all of Israel, king. And so the prophet Samuel went to David's home and met his dad, Jesse, and said, I believe God wants to anoint one of your sons king. Can you get your sons out? And Jesse goes and gets all his six big strapping young men. And so he starts with the tallest, the one the most kingly looking. And Samuel stands, no, not this one. Goes to the next one, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. He goes through all of them. And, and Samuel says, is that all the sons that you have? And Jesse says, I got a little small jar out in the field, if you will. Well, send for him. Right? And so the small jar David comes and all of a sudden the anointing, the oils broke over his head and he's anointed king. Isn't it just like God to use the least likely thing, the thing that's overlooked by everybody else and even ourselves at times because of our deficit to do a miracle through? I love that. Listen, the enemy wants you to despise your oil. He wants you to see what you have as insignificant or unimportant. The enemy wants you to see your oil 
as small and insignificant. Why? Because the enemy can't steal your oil. Now understand, everything in the natural that's presented in the natural in scripture has a parallel spiritually. So every example has a spiritual uh, part to it. And so when you look at the word oil in scripture, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when they were going to anoint a king, the king of Israel, they would anoint him with oil representing the power and presence of God. So the Holy Spirit is representative of oil, which is representative of the, of the power and presence of God. In the New Testament, it's also representative of or symbolic of joy and gladness. The joy and gladness that comes to live inside of us through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking, when we talk about oil, I'm not talking about something you keep in your cupboard. I'm not talking about something you keep in your cabinet. I'm talking about something you keep in your heart. We're talking about something God put in your heart. We're talking about God's presence in you. We're talking about his power in you. We're talking about his joy in you, his peace in you, his purpose in you, his gift in you, his dream in you, all that God gave you. And if I were your enemy and I knew I couldn't take your oil because the enemy can't take anything God has given you, what I would do instead is to get you to think your oil was so little, so insignificant, it isn't even worth using. The enemy cannot take it, cannot take from you what God has given you. And because the enemy cannot steal your oil, he will do things and cause things to happen in your life for you to focus on your deficit instead of what God put there. And so you will think it's not even worth mentioning. And after a while, when all you do is focus on your deficit, you forget your destiny because your focus is off. So we need to check our oil. Check our oil, check what God gave us, what God put there. And some people sit in our church week after week, month after month, year after year, and never ever realize that what you have in you is not nothing, it's something. What you have is something. What you have is significant. What you got is not nothing. My gift is something. My life is something. My praise is something. My worship is something. My prayer is something. My shout is something. My jumping is something. It's something. Now, my oil may not be as much as yours, but God won't hold me accountable for your oil. God holds me accountable for my oil. And mine look like mine may seem like I have a deficit. And somebody else looks like it's overflowing, but God's not concerned about them. He wants you to use what you have. Now notice that the prophet didn't say, go borrow vessels of oil because he doesn't want to work through somebody else's gift and calling in your life. He wants to work in you. He's not trying to get you to use. He said, get an empty vessel. Why? Because I want to increase what you already have. I want to multiply what you already have. The gift you already have is enough. The strength you already have is enough. What I gave you, you already have is enough. Now we're going to find a way to increase it and multiply it. You don't need to have what they have. I've given you what you need. Check your oil. Check your oil. It's not nothing. It's something. God didn't tell the woman to go borrow someone else's vessel of oil. So borrow an empty one. What you have is something. Remember Elijah, back to our... Sunday school days, Elijah battled the prophets of Baal. There was a time that the children of Israel had completely walked away from serving God. 
Elijah was a spokesperson. He said, it's time for a showdown between our God, the God of Israel, and all the other gods that people are worshiping. Called all the Israelites together. Want everybody in Israel to come gather around. We're going to have a showdown. We're going to once and for all. And then you choose. See for yourself. He told all the prophets of Baal and the other prophets, there was 850 totally. He said, we're going to make a sacrifice here. And then you call fire down from heaven, from your gods. And if he consumes it, then we'll all worship your God. But if not, then I'll call fire down from my God. And if he consumes it, then everybody will know he's the one true God. And so if you remember the story, maybe if you haven't heard it before, they spent all day calling down on their gods, trying to call down fire. Nothing happened. Elijah called from God in heaven, the only true and living God. Fire came, consumed not just the sacrifice, but trenches full of water in a time where there was an extreme drought. And it was proven that God is the one true God. And Elijah, it says, went up and then he went to get by himself and he knelt on the ground and prayed. And there had been a drought for three and a half years. And God had told him that it's time to bring the rain. So he was praying for the rain. It was after this big battle. So all of a sudden he tells his servant, and we saw the, the Israel information there. We stood there the two times my wife and I have been. We stood on the top of Mount Carmel, and we could see the valley where all that happened. And we could see off in the distance, looking out over the Mediterranean Sea. We stood on top of that mountain, top of that hill. And he told his servant, go up to the hill and look towards the sea, and then come tell me what you see. And so the servant goes up the hill, and he looks out, and he doesn't see anything. So he comes back down. And he tells Elijah, he says, I didn't see nothing. I saw nothing. He says, go up there and do that again. So the servant goes up there, comes back. He says, what'd you see? I saw nothing. Go do it again. He comes back. What'd you see? I saw nothing. Can I tell you about the third or fourth time if I'm that servant, I'm going about halfway up the hill, sitting down, taking a nap somewhere, waiting until I think like enough time had passed and I'm going back down. Tell him nothing. So he goes up, comes down, nothing. Goes up, comes down, nothing. Goes up, comes down, nothing. Six times. He sends him up one more time, and he goes up to the mountain. And you can imagine the servant by this time. I don't want to keep going up. There's nothing. I can see anything. I didn't see anything. The other six times I went up there, there's nothing up there. He looks out. What does he see? He looks out. And off in the distance, coming off the sea, he sees the cloud. But you know what he said to him? He came back down, told the prophet. He's like, what did you see? I said, I saw a cloud, but it's just this little bitty one. <laughs> I mean, I saw something, but it's just a little bitty cloud. And he's like, he's like, really? You saw a cloud? He's like, yeah, but it's the size of a man's hand. Look at that. Don't, there's nothing to get excited about. The longer you stay in nothing, you miss the something God's doing. I don't care if you've gone to the top of a mountain six times, you keep going and looking for God because God promised that he'll provide if you'll stay faithful to that. It's amazing to me. We look at our deficit for so long that we, and all of a sudden we've counted the supply that God brought as insignificant and as nothing because what that man should have done is come back down, running down the hill, and he says, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. There's this cloud. I mean, it was a little cloud out there, but man, there's this cloud out there. Well, there wasn't clouds before this cloud, and it's just going to bring this rain. And if you know the story, when that cloud came, it brought the rain. As we say in Texas, it was a frog strangler. It just poured. In fact, he told King Ahab, he goes, the rain's coming, brother. You better get on your chariot and get to the city right now, or you won't be able to go anywhere in a moment. Now, notice he didn't go up inside this big rain cloud, come back, and oh my goodness, Elijah was this cumulus nimbus cloud at 35,000 feet or whatever. It was so black and dark. Lightning was everywhere. You can feel the wind blowing right now. You can kind of smell the rain. It was nothing to him because he'd been focused on the nothing for so long, he didn't even get excited about God's provision because it was small and insignificant to him. What are we looking at? Check the oil. Check the oil. It's something. The devil can't take your gifts. He can't take your calling. It might not be much, but it's not nothing. See, here's the thing that we need to understand. There's a cloud the size of a man's hand, but it's not the size of the cloud that determines the size of the blessing. 
It's not the number of fish, two. The number of loaves, five, that determine the size of the blessing to feed 20,000 people. It's not the amount of oil that determines the blessing. Check your oil. It might not be much, but it's not nothing. And the devil can't take your gifts and callings because God says what I've given you is irrevocable or I will not take them back. I can't do that. He, he won't, he won't, God won't take them back. The devil can't take them from you. But the, the devil, he'll try and work at you and get you focused on the deficit instead of your destiny. See, the devil can't take my ministry. God's called me to do what I do. The devil can't take my ministry. He can't take my marriage. He can't take my family. He can't take my joy. He can't take my peace. But if he can get me so distracted and so discouraged and focusing on the deficit, I can forfeit it. I can give it away or walk away when everything I had, he has made available for me. If he can get me to think that my oil is nothing, I will give it up. But understand by the end of this passage, this woman has a house full of oil. But it wasn't until she poured the oil out that it became more. It wasn't until she poured the oil out that it became more. Now, when you feel poor, you don't pour. When you feel poor, you don't pour. What do you do? You hold on. We don't have a whole lot here. We can hang on to what we got, but that's counter God's strategy. That's counter God's order. That's counter what God would say. When the need seems so big compared to the supply, you call it nothing. And you don't use it so it doesn't multiply. When there's 5,000 men plus women and children, up to 20,000 people, and you have the disciples had five loaves and two fishes, what did they do? They tried to send, hey, so Jesus, we need to send all the people home to get something to eat because our supply is so insignificant in this moment. And what Jesus did is say, give me your supply. And Jesus multiplied it. You know what the disciples tried to do? They tried to push away an opportunity for God to do a miracle. Think about that. What a great story that is. But the disciples tried to send away the crowds. They tried to give away the opportunity God gave them because they thought it was nothing compared to the need. But your miracle is hidden in what you've been overlooking. Your miracle is hidden in what you've been overlooking. You're overlooking it because it seems so small and it seems so small to you because you're comparing it to what you need or what you need to have instead of what you do have. So you call it nothing. What do you have to be grateful for? Nothing, are you sure? What, what are you good at? Nothing, are you sure? Has the enemy got us so focused on our deficiency that we've forgotten our destiny? When you're living with a deficit for so long, it can overshadow the oil that you do have. See, the question from the prophet is not what do you wish you had in your house? It's what do you have left? Because that's what God is gonna bless. God is going to bless what he gave you. You are his vessel. And the oil you have is the oil you need. The gifts you have are the gifts you need. The strength you have are the strength you need. But know this, the oil only flows when it's poured. Listen, you can pray over it. You can bring your small jar of oil and put it on the kitchen table, gather the family around, join hands and pray over it. You can bring it up here to the altar where the pastors can come. We can, you can take it to your community group. You can pray over it. You can put it in the middle of, you, of your family there and you can cry over it. 
And you can put it there and you can sing over it and you can put it there and you can declare over it and speak over it. But until you pour it, it's not going to flow. And that's what we've been doing. We've been praying over it. And here's what we do. We go in and we ask for more and more and more and more. And we ask God, God, are you hearing? I need more and more and more. And God's saying, I'm hearing, but are you hearing? You need to pour and pour and pour. And we're saying more, more, more. He's saying pour, pour, pour. He's a faithful God. Amen? It all flows when it's poured out. Until you pour it out, it'll stay only one small jar. If the enemy can't take your oil, he'll try and get you to stop pouring. But here's the thing. I know. I know you're hurt. I know. I know what what that's like. I know you're hurt. I know that you've been disappointed. I have too. I know you've been discouraged. I know you have been angry, frustrated, scared. And so you've stopped pouring. But when you stop pouring, it stops flowing. But we tend to think, I'll, I'll pour more when I get more. But in God's order, it becomes more as you pour. It isn't just like God to tell you to do something so crazy or radical. I don't have anything, God. Well, give what you have. That doesn't make any sense to me. Isn't it just like God? I mean, all throughout the scripture. Remember another story. There was a, a, a widow with a, with a son and all she had was this, this little bit of oil and this little bit of flour. And, and the prophet of God came and said, make me a cake to eat. And they said, well, really, honestly, we just have a little oil. We have a little flour. We're going to make a cake. We're going to cook it with this oil and then we're going to eat it and die. <laughs> and he said, perfect. But before you do that, could you make me a cake? But isn't it just like God? But we need to trust him. It doesn't matter if you're three kings doesn't matter if you're wealthy. God's concerned about you. And I know some of the reasons why that we don't pour. I know, I, I know that you feel unappreciated. I know, well, I poured out and they didn't appreciate it. Or I poured out and I got hurt. I poured out and they didn't care. I mean, what good? And that's just the enemy trying to get you to focus on you again. To stop the flow. He's just trying to use it to focus on you again. Have you ever been discouraged? And didn't do anything with it? You just tried to hope your way out, will your way out, pray your way out, and you just sunk deeper and deeper in it? Or have you ever been discouraged and found somebody else to encourage and find yourself coming out of it? And the best thing you can do when you're discouraged or hurt is to find somebody discouraged and hurt and help them not be discouraged or hurt. It's God's order. You pour. But I know at those times, I need somebody to pour into me. I want somebody to pour into me. But if you don't pour... You stay poor in whatever it is, whatever it is. And I know it's hard to pouring into someone else when you really want someone to pour into you. But the more you pour, the more it flows. The more you pour, the more it flows. So the enemy tries to keep us hurt and offended, bitter, feeling unappreciated because then we won't want to pour into other people. And sometimes you'll pour into people and they won't say a word. But guess what? They're not your source. I might be pouring into people, but I'm pouring for the Lord. So I keep pouring whether you appreciate me or not. I keep pouring if you like me. I keep pouring if you don't like me. I keep pouring if you stay. I keep pouring if you go. I keep pouring. Because God is my source and I'm pouring for God. See, we look at our supply in comparison to our need when we should be looking at our source in comparison to our need. 
Quit comparing your supply to your need and start comparing your source to your need. And my Bible says he's the source of everything and he never runs out and he never lacks and he's more than enough. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running up. Whatever that is, wherever you have a deficit in life, we start comparing our need not to our supply but to our source and you got to keep pouring. You got to keep pouring. I wonder how she felt when she started pouring. This doesn't make any sense. All right, boys, you go get the vessels. Really, mom? That's embarrassing, right? Everybody knows we don't have anything. What am I going to tell them they're for? They're going to ask me, are you going to sell these? No, we're going to say, my mom wants them. Man of God said, do something with them. Imagine that first one she's pouring into. I love this idea right here. I want to point out to you in verse 5. It says, 2 Kings 4, 5 says this. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. See, what she did in private mattered. What you do in private matters. She poured. And she poured. And we pray and ask God for more. God hears us and asks us to pour. She shut the door and poured. Sometimes when things are the worst, we need to shut the door and keep pouring. Let me say it this way because I love you and I won't be here next week. Sometimes when things are the worst, we need to shut our mouth and keep pouring. Amen. We need to shut the lies of the devil off and keep pouring. We need to shut out that negative voice and keep pouring. Come back next week, Pastor Cody. You'll love him. Okay, so sometimes when things are the worst, we need to shut the door and keep pouring. Keep pouring. But, you know, really, maybe this passage really isn't necessarily all about the oil as much as it is about the vessel. The vessel. Go ask for empty jars. Go ask for empty jars. See, here's why they needed empty jars, because they needed room for the oil. Because God can't fill something that's already filled. But the reality is, a lot of us are filled with other things than God. And so we need to empty the vessel. Maybe your vessel's filled with pride. Empty it. Humble yourself up under the mighty hand of God. Maybe your vessel's filled with your own ideas and opinions. Change it. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. Maybe God's vessel's filled. Maybe your vessel, rather, is filled with your own answers or how you think it should be. Empty it. Because God can't fill something that's already filled with something else. There needs to be room for the oil. Maybe we need to empty ourselves and allow him to fill us up. Last scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Ben, you guys can come on out. I love this. Because now we saw this in the Old Testament in 2 Kings. And now we'll see the New Testament application, basically, of this or the New Testament look or interpretation here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Listen to what the scripture says. But we, you and I, have this treasure in jars. Let me say it this way. Have this oil in jars of clay, earthen vessels, it might say, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What is he saying? That you and I, in our imperfections, carry the treasure, the oil of God, which contains his presence and his power. Think about that for a second. Earthen vessels. And I know that here today, that maybe you feel like your vessel's cracked. That's okay. Or maybe you say it this way. It's okay if you're a crack pot. (laughs) 
Maybe you feel like it's old and dusty and chipped. And maybe you feel like you've been broken. Maybe you feel like you've just been kicked to the side and rolled around or forgotten and put in a corner. Maybe you feel like your vessel doesn't look nice. And maybe you feel like your vessel needs a lot of work. And maybe you feel like there's nothing, how could it contain? But God says, you're the vessel I'm looking for. If you're cracked and you're chipped and you're broken and you're dirty and you're dusty and forgotten, then you're perfect for the all-surpassing power of God to be poured into your heart and in your life. You're the vessel he's looking for. You're the vessel he wants to fill up, but you have to be willing to pour out. That's all he's asking for. He's not asking for a nice, shiny, with no cracks and no things, off the showroom floor, off the shelf, coming out of the fire and painted and looking all pretty and nice. He wants you just as you are. He says, all I need is for you to be willing to pour out and I will pour in. And when you start pouring out, he keeps pouring in. Don't stop the flow. He is a good and faithful God. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.